uh, Eleanor, you're the Canadian? Yeah. Oh, so glad. <laughs> I'm Canadian too. <laughs> you're doing fine, eh? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so if I do this, what am I doing? Yeah, most of you would have said praying a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Tebowing. Let's see. Uh, Tim Tebow is the quarterback for the. Uh, now I, I'm not a big sports fan, and you know that. But um, Tim Tebow is the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Okay, who lost? Yeah, they lost. But uh, most of you, uh, after last Sunday's game, it was incredible to me to hear the, uh, the, the sports news all week long was on Tim D. Tebow and, and his faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know anything about him or not, but he comes from a missionary family. Every time he's interviewed... He starts off the interview, well, what do you think about the game you just played? Was it really great uh, about all your plays? He said, well, first of all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every time he does that, every time he gives praise to the Lord. I'm not a football fan. I'm not a sports fan in particular. But somebody said this, this guy's on fire for the Lord. And when somebody's on fire for the Lord, I'm going to come out and watch him burn. Okay? And uh, he, he's been a real encouragement to me and encouragement to many of the young people uh, that he's taken this stand for Jesus Christ. 49 million people watched the game last Sunday. And at the end of the game, when they won, he got down on his knees again on the field, just like he always does, like this. And he praises the Lord for what happened. Now, he'll praise the Lord even though he lost, okay? It doesn't matter. To him, it's a game. He's more interested in helping poor kids who have suffered from cancer and other diseases and things like that. Some amazing statistics came out apparently last Sunday. I didn't count them, but this is what they say. That he threw 316 completed yards of passes last Sunday. First time I was exposed to this guy, I was just, I happened to, my family likes football. And so in between, you know, getting a drink of water from the kitchen, I'll see, and this, the, the, the camera panned on his face. And you know how football players put those black things under their eyes? so that the sun doesn't shine on them or something or make them look tougher or whatever. His said, John on one side, 316 on the other. Now, secular sports fans, uh, 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 commentators said of him, it was kind of eerie that he would throw 316 um, yards of passes. It reminds us of what he used to have on his face, John 316. And you say, oh, that's really bizarre. But you know what? Sports fans talked about it all week long. John 3.16, John 3.16. Everywhere I turn, TV, you know, and everything else, John 3.16, and they were quoting this. And I said, Lord, this is wonderful that you make even your enemies praise you. It's wonderful that uh, even those who don't love the Lord are sitting there quoting John 3.16, the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world. Well, I won't even do it, okay? So yesterday... They have another game. This is the to, to push them forward in the towards the um, what is it? The Super Bowl. There we go. I, I'm a Canadian. NHL ho hockey is what I, you know. So 
so they lost the game. They, they got Trump. That was terrible, terrible game. He still praised the Lord. But I want to share with you the greatest play yesterday. And I got it on, uh, on um, film here. I hope you can hear it. But it was the greatest play yesterday, in my opinion. And I just want you to watch it. So, thanks. You can turn that off. It's great. You know, this was in the, the middle of the game or partway through the game, and uh, all of a sudden this came on. I said, guys, watch this. John 3.16. I don't know how many millions of people were watching, but somebody had the, the courage to stand up as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and say, this is the message that we want to proclaim. And when God is praised, I'm telling you, it just thrills my heart. And it thrilled my heart yesterday. Well, we're in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 27. A group of experts was, uh, was commissioned to conduct a study on what love is, what people think love is. And their commission was to, to uh, ask uh, children from the age group between four and eight, what is love? What is love? It's a profound question to ask anybody, but it's a profound question to ask a child in that age range. And after some thought, Chrissy, <clears throat> age six, answered it this way. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. It's a cute answer. But as we study the scripture this morning, we'll see that from her six-year-old understanding of the verse... And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. She had it down pretty good. Our topic this morning is love. It's not the sentimental, hallmark, card kind of love, but it's a supernatural love. One that I cannot fake, you cannot fake. It is a love of God lived out in his followers. And we want to turn to Luke 6 and begin reading with verse uh, 27. But before we do, uh, let me just say this, just to remind you of what we're, where we're at. Last week we looked earlier in the Gospel of Luke where the Lord Jesus went out and he uh, prayed all night long. The next morning he chose 12 disciples whom he called apostles. Now the 12 apostles <clears throat> were representatives of the kingdom of God and were sent out as ambassadors of the king, an ambassador. We talked about that a little bit, uh, I think, last Sunday and then a little bit this morning 
again in the other class. An ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a person that goes to another country or another kingdom and represents the kingdom or the country from which he came. He is sent out to represent the interests of the king, the interests of the kingdom. And so the disciples were representing the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was going to return home to heaven to be with his father, going back to um, heaven. But he left his apostles or left his disciples here on the earth to represent his interests, to represent him. And the idea there is that the ambassador is to act as the king himself. He is to act in the same way the king would act if he were there. Now, not only were the apostles left that way, but the Bible says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the message. We are to go out and to preach the message of the gospel, just like the children did last night on the television. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the message that the Lord has left for us uh, to, to preach. But it's not, import- not only important what we say, but it's important how we say it, and it's important how we live. And so that's really what this passage has to do with this morning. It's how we live as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, representing the King. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. The teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ are completely revolutionary. There's nothing like them. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The epistle of 1 John has much to say about love. John speaks of a type of love that is the highest form of love in existence. Um, it is what, we, what the Greek word for it is agape or agapeo. It's, it's the, the love, it's a sacrificial love. It's not the warm, fuzzy, sentimental kind of a love that we're used to. It's not even the brotherly love that we are commanded to express to one another. This is a love that is God's love towards us. And God's love towards us is not satisfied with simply saying the words, I love you, although he does do that. But his love is such that he has to demonstrate it to us. 
And the way he demonstrated his love for us was by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. And there on the cross, he paid for your sins penalty by dying in your place on the cross of Calvary. That is God demonstrating his love towards us. Now, this love is the character of God on display. And as his ambassadors, we are to display this same kind of character, the same kind of love. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4 says this, In this, the love of God was manifest. It was put on display towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, we also ought to love one another. So the, the practical love, the demonstration of love, is not just that God loved us, But now, if you are his followers, if you are his ambassadors, he says to us, now, brothers, uh, you ought to love one another. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So there's the command. The command is to love. But what makes his message so profound is that not only are we to love one another, but we are to love our enemies. Love our enemies. So let's start with the easy part because I think that's, that's uh, where we have to start. Start with the easy part. Love those who love us. Can you do that? Can you love those who love you? I hope so. You know, we, we really don't even need to be commanded uh, to do that. We just do it naturally. Somebody loves us and out of obligation, if nothing else, we feel like we need to love them back. And so we do. In this passage, Jesus talks about this kind of love. In verse 33, he says this, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. I think most of us, whether we admit it or not, we keep kind of an unwritten record. It's a a record in our heart. You know, um, Jake does something nice for me, and I kind of put that away, okay, I owe him one. You know, uh, Joanna did something good for me, okay, well, I owe her one. And we have this kind of a I owe you, I owe you, I owe you kind of a thing. You know, somebody does something, we owe them back. You do something for somebody else, you kind of go, you know what, he owes me one. And some people keep pretty good records of this, you know, the things that we owe each other, loving each other back. I borrow your tools. Well, you can come borrow my tools, that idea. Listen, 
Even Bank of America loves you that much, you know? <laughs> really. You go to the Bank of America and you say, hey, I need to borrow some money so I can have a, buy, buy a house. They go, sure, we'll give you a loan, but you owe us. <laughs> and we're going to love you until the very end, the very last payment. We're going to love you. And as long as you're making your payments on a monthly basis, they love you. It's the worldly kind of love. But I'll tell you something, you stop making those payments and they'll tell you how they really feel about you. They'll take away your house. They'll put you on the street. That's the kind of love, uh, that's the world's kind of love. You know, even gang members love each other. As long as you're wearing their colors, they love you. But God help the person who goes into a neighborhood with the wrong colors. They don't love you then. Even unsaved people love their friends. But it's a common practice to love uh, those who love you. It's natural, but it's not supernatural. And what Jesus is saying here is that we are to love in a supernatural way. It's agape love. It's a love that sacrifices, a love that spends, a love that gives with no thought of return. It's the love that God showed to us. So let's step it up a notch. We are commanded to love that way, but we are also commanded to love one another. That's going beyond just loving our you know, close family members. That's now loving you guys, and that's you guys loving me. And I know that's hard. It's easy for me, but it's hard for you. I know that. But I thank you for those who do love me. It's, it's really a call to love strangers. And some of us are really strange. I think that's where it comes in. We may be quite different from one another, but we are to love one another. Our personalities might clash, but we are to love one another. We may be different economically. We may be different socially, spiritually, physically, but we are to love one another. We are to love the brethren. That's harder. It is harder. But Jesus said in John 13 this, uh, 13.34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The word for love here, again, is agape. It's that kind of sacrificial love that prompts actions, the kind where we read in the scripture how God demonstrated his love towards us in sending his son to the cross. This kind of love is the kind of love he requires of us. It's not simply affection, warm feelings in your heart, but it's a kind of love that is displayed, and it's displayed in the same way that God displayed it to us. How are we to display such love for one another? Well, let's start in the home. That's a good place to start. Love one another in the home. There was a uh, pastor and a newspaper columnist. His name was George Crane. And he tells a story of a, a, a day that uh, a lady from his church came in to see him for counseling. And she was full of bitterness and full of hatred towards her husband. And she says, I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. How would you counsel a woman like this? She says, before I divorce him, 
I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. Well, Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. He said, okay. He says, here's what I want you to do. Go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind and considerate and as generous as possible to him. Spare no efforts to please him and to enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him with all your heart. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, he says, then drop the bomb. Tell him you want a divorce. She says, oh, that's beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to go out and do it. And with anger and, and uh, bitterness in her, in her eyes, she left the office to go out and to, to do this to her husband. Two months. And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if she really loved him. And for two months, she showed that love and the kindness and listening and giving and reinforcing and sharing and all of the things that would demonstrate, demonstrate and demonstrate that she loved him. Crane called after two months because she didn't show up in his office for her appointment. And he says, um, are, you still, are, you, are you ready now to go through with your divorce? Divorce, she said. Why would I want to divorce my husband? I love him. I really do. And her actions had changed her feelings, demonstrating her love for her husband. Divorce, are you kidding? Listen, brothers and sisters, I want you to think about something. Can you imagine the Lord saying to you, I want a divorce. I want a divorce from you. How many times have you messed up? How many times have I messed up? How many of us have worn the pages of 1 John bare? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many times have you claimed that verse? How many times have you come on your knees and said, Lord, I've sinned again. Please forgive me. And we expect him to forgive us. Can you imagine the Lord saying, I'm through with you. I want a divorce. I want nothing more to do with you anymore. And yet he loves us over and over and over and over and over. And he demonstrates it to us every day. A divorce? Are you kidding? Having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And every time we ask Him to, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A dear friend of mine, a man I love very much, <clears throat> in his early 50s, uh, abandoned his wife to, to cheat on her, really, with another woman. She knew it. And he just told her one day, just drop the bomb, I'm going, I'm leaving See ya. He plunged into sin. It, it broke my heart. He left his wife, he left his children for another woman and lived for his own pleasure. His, his dear wife, oh, she is a godly woman, I'm telling you. She is something else. Do you know that he would come home at the end of each week and give to her a bag of dirty clothes? And you know what she would do with that? She washed them. And she dried them. And she ironed them and folded them and put them on hangers so that he could come and pick them up every week. Wow. Love. 
She's a saint. After quite some time, she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for him. And after quite some time, the Lord got through to him and he broke. And he came back a broken and a contrite man and she welcomed him back. But more than that, she never reminds him of his sin. I tell you, that's love. That's love. It's supernatural love. She displayed agape love. She displayed the kind of love that God has for us. Going back to what the group of four to eight-year-olds said, what does love mean? What is love? Rebecca, age eight, said this, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis. That's love in the family. I like this one. Tommy, age six, said this, love, he said, is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they've known each other for so long. (laughs) Love in the home. Well, what about love in our relationships here in the assembly, in the chapel here? Romans 12.10 says this, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. We should love one another because we're family. We're family. We all have the same father. God is our father. And all of the women here are my sisters. And all of the men here are my brothers. We are family. We should treat each other as blood relatives should treat each other. And we should recognize the contribution that each one of us has in the assembly here and love each other and appreciate each other for it. In 1 John 3, love for one another includes caring for each other's needs. It says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It gets very practical. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Spurgeon once said that uh, to his church audience, it would, be good, it would be a good thing if some ladies here in this church loved their neighbors as much as they love their lap dogs. Now, I didn't know they had lap dogs, dogs back in the 1800s, but so I guess that was you know, as, as common then too. Love your neighbors as much as you love your lap dogs. Wow. He says, you do not love your neighbor as you love your house, your estate, or your purse. How high then is love your neighbor as yourself, the gospel standard. So often our, loved, our love for each other is based on the business model, you know, uh, what is displayed in the world. We often display an all-business approach to our love and show no mercy to one another. The story is told of a wealthy Christian lady who thought of herself as being very generous and very uh, much one who demonstrated love and kind to the poor. And she took it upon herself. She had um, Money was no problem to her. She was, as they say, filthy rich, and she had a lot of extra money. 
And uh, she would go and visit people in the church, in their homes. And she would visit a poor sister and she would sit them down and she would talk to them about how to economize. Sister, we know you're poor and so I want to just teach you how to economize. And so she'd give quite a lecture on, on how to make things stretch, which she knew nothing about. And the poor sister would listen to her and wonder in her heart, how can I economize any more than I do now? As it is, I don't eat meat. I have no money for fruit. We li- she didn't say this out loud, but you know she was thinking this in her head. Um, my whole family eats bread and drinks water. That's it. I'm paying down a consolidation loan with every extra dollar I have. Um, then the rich woman looks around her house and she sees that it's a little unkempt, a little untidy. And so she gives her a little lecture on how to clean her house better. And she tells her about how uncomfortable she feels in the uh, dirty conditions of the home. And she tells the woman how her clothes could be better kept and uh, tells her, gives her a little lesson about how to improve her looks. And then at the end, she says to the sister, now, dear sister, she says, I know you're troubled and you're, you don't have much, so here's $20. And she leaves, having th- thinking in her own heart, in her own head, I love my neighbor as myself. Does she really? And the poor lady, the poor, the poor woman, um, lets her to the door. Does that rich woman embrace the poor woman? Oh, no, her clothes are too dirty. Does she speak loving to her? No, she lectured her about all the things that were wrong, finer points of handling money, you know, and so on. What happened after the rich woman left? The poor woman sobbed in tears over the treatment. She got $20. Why is she crying? She came to her elder for consolation. And although she was grateful for the small measure of relief she received, her spirit was broken. You know, there were times in her life, she said to her elder, when my circumstances were better, when I was able to give to those who were in need. And she said, I needed to be encouraged. I needed a loving embrace. I just needed to be loved. The rich woman treats her dogs with more compassion than she treated that woman. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, speaking of love. He says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. It's of no value. 1 John 4 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his neighbor, he's what? He's a liar. That's what it says. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. As you look around the assembly, and you look around at the faces of the people here, Do you really love one another this way? Love one another. Are there brothers and sisters who drive you nuts? Love them anyway. Have you taken the time to really love them? 
Have you thought about their lives and what they are going through or what they have gone through and tried to walk a mile in their shoes? Do you love them? Do you love the saints enough to open your life to them? Do you love the saints to open your home to them? Do you love them enough to open your heart to them? Love one another. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it for me. There's a story of a Christian teacher who had a problem student. His name was Ted Stallard, and undoubtedly he qualifies as being one of the least. (laughs) He was a troubled kid, turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, expressionless, unattractive. The teacher, her name was Miss Thompson. And Miss Thompson used to actually enjoy bearing down on his paper with her red pen to mark all the things that he got wrong. She really didn't like the kid. But, you know, if she had only studied his records a little more carefully, his previous grade records, she might have learned something about him. At the end of first grade, his first grade teacher on his report card wrote this, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. The end of the second grade, the teacher wrote this in, his, in her remarks, Ted could do better. Uh, his mother is seriously ill, receives little help from home. The end of third grade, the teacher wrote, Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He is a slow learner. His mother died this year. End of fourth grade, the teacher wrote, Ted is very slow. He's well-behaved, but his father shows no interest whatsoever. She's the fifth grade teacher, and uh, Christmas came that year, and the children piled elaborately wrapped presents on her desk to give to her for Christmas, and Ted brought one in too. It was wrapped in a brown paper bag and kind of held together by little pieces of scotch tape. And uh, the kids all gathered round and watched as the teacher opened up the various presents, and finally she got to Ted's, and she opened it, and there was this kind of an ugly um, rhinestone bracelet that was, was in there, missing half of the stones and some cheap perfume, and all the kids started laughing at Ted for what a crummy gift that he had given to the teacher. But to stop the kids from laughing at him, she took the perfume and put some on her wrist and had the kids smell her wrist. And uh, at the end of the day, after all the children left, Ted came to the teacher's desk. <laughs> and he said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. <laughs> it was his mother's perfume. And he says, I'm glad you like the uh, bracelet I gave you too. He said, I really appreciate that. 
So he left, and Miss Thompson <laughs> was just rebuked by the Lord, slain, you know, for what she had been thinking about this poor kid. And she got down on her knees in that classroom, and she asked God to forgive her for her attitude towards this uh, Ted and change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a reform teacher, one committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly at all, Ted seemed to respond to it, this love that she was now showing to him. And he actually caught up with the rest of the students in the class. Time came and went. He carried on with school, of course, and she continued teaching in the fifth grade. Then one day she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be first to know I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. <laughs> Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. University has not been easy, but it's been good. It's been fun. I liked it. Love, Ted. Four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, M.D. How about that? <laughs> he says, I wanted you to be first to know. I'm getting married next month on the 27th exactly, and I want you to come and I want you to sit where my mom would have sat if she had been alive. He said, you know what, you're the only family I have now. My dad died too. So she came and she sat. She had earned that privilege. She sat there and watched as he um, got married that day. One of the least. You know what, we should love the brethren. We have no idea uh, the circumstances that each one of us goes through in life. No idea. Love the brethren. You know what? Just one day, maybe someone will become another Ted Stallard. And even if it doesn't happen, we'll have been faithful to the one has, who has always treated us as unworthy as we are, like very special people. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As great as these examples are, the Lord is asking even more from us. As ambassadors for Christ, we are not only to love our families, not only are we to love the brethren, but we're to go further than that. And it says, love our enemies. If we are really going to represent Jesus Christ and his kingdom, then here are the terms, Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return. This is clearly illustrated in the Bible, in the story of the Good Samaritan. But I love Rick so much, this is his message in a couple of weeks, so I won't steal his thunder. 
<laughs> but anticipate it. It's coming. The Samaritan man, who uh, you know the story, helped his enemy. Who are our enemies this morning? And how are we to respond to them? Proverbs 25 says this. If your enemy is hungry, not your friends, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. It was October 2, 2006, and Charles Roberts IV entered into a, an Amish uh, one-room school, schoolhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. When he came in, he initially took the entire school hostage, all of the kids and all the people that were in the schoolhouse, he took them hostage. And uh, one, the teacher actually was able to escape. Her name was Emma May Zook. And she ran to a nearby school, a nearby neighbor, a farmer, and she asked the farmer to call 911. She knew they were in trouble. The, the man came in with guns. He came in with ammunition. He came in to do damage. Roberts uh, was still in the schoolhouse, of course. He lined up the girls in front of the chalkboard. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, he allowed all of the boys to escape. There were two um, parents there with infants. He allowed them, or three parents. He allowed them to escape. There was a pregnant woman. He allowed her to escape. And so all that were left now were ten young girls in this uh, classroom. Soon the police arrived, and they tried to communicate with him. He barricaded himself in the schoolhouse so that no one could get in. They communicated with him by phone. They pled with him to let the hostages go. And he said that if they didn't get off the property immediately, he would start shooting and he would kill everyone who was there. Incredibly, as these kids heard this, two young girls, one, uh, they were sisters actually, Marion and Barbie Fisher, ages 13 and 11. They appealed to Roberts and they said, kill us first, kill us and let the others go. Let us die in place of these other ones. Incredible for a 13 and 11-year-old to, to think that way. So Roberts turned to them, and he shot them both in the head. He killed them. Marion was killed instantly. Um, yeah, and, and Barbie survived. The police got through to him on his cell phone, uh, he basically told them to take a hike, and um, he started shooting each of the kids that were standing there, uh, execution style in the back of the head. When the police heard the gunshots in rapid fire, they came and they uh, were able finally to break into the building, and uh, Roberts turned and shot himself in the head, committing suicide. Senseless and brutal attack. It killed five of the young girls, and uh, five of the, well, the other five girls were seriously injured. Um, and it absolutely shocked this quiet community. But what happened next shocked the world. The Amish community had been taught about love. They had been taught about um, sacrifice. They had been taught about living a life lived out in sacrificial love. 
And uh, now their love was being put to test like never before. And God does that in our lives. I don't mean he has to put us through this, but God does that in our lives. We say we love. Prove it. Prove it. Our love will be tested. Prove that you love. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered girls encouraged others in the community not to hate the killer, saying, we must not think evil of this man. One of the fathers said of Roberts, you know, he had a mother and a wife and a soul. And now he's standing before a just God. No doubt he was acting on that verse that we'll look at next week, judge not, lest you be judged. A local man explained to the media, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but to forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in this way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. One of the neighbors went to the family of the shooter, to the Roberts family, just hours after the shooting, and extended forgiveness uh, to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow and his parents and parents-in-law. One man, uh, a Christian man, held Robert's sobbing father in his arms for over an hour to comfort him. It may sound astounding to you, but that group of people also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. Some of the community attended Robert's funeral, and the widow Marie Roberts was one of the only outsiders invited in to the funeral of the girls. Marie Roberts wrote an open letter to her loving neighbors, thanking them for their forgiveness, their grace, and mercy. She wrote, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. It's natural to love those who love us. It's supernatural to love those that hate us. And that is what we are called to do as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I pray that God will grant to us such supernatural love as this. Another six-year-old, Nika, says this. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. If you want to learn to love better, start with those that you hate. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and as such we are to live as representing our King. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we recognize that what you're asking us to do is completely unnatural to us. It is completely otherworldly. And yet, Lord, 
you have commanded us to do it uh, as representatives of you, the way you would live, the way you did live, the way you demonstrated your love for us. Lord, grant to us such love. Grant to us the ability to love not only our family, to love strangers, to love the brethren, but to love even our enemies. Lord, that we might be sons of God, that we might demonstrate that we are sons of God. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.